Well, good morning. How's everybody feeling? Pretty good? Wasn't that an awesome worship set? We get to praise God like that and just honor Him. Hey, really quick, if you are a guest with us here today, my name is Danny, and I want to personally say welcome into our, our church, and this is our Greenwood campus. We have two other locations that have, are having services right now uh, as we speak, and uh, we're just glad you're here. Thank you for accepting someone's invitation. Uh, we have prayed for you, we have planned for you, we have prepared for you, so you can consider yourself triple peed right there. How about that? Isn't that exciting? I don't know what that means, but uh, it sounded fun to say, so I wanted to say it. Um, so here we go. So we are, if you are a guest with us here today, we are in a series called Peace, and it's our Christmas series. We love Christmas around Emmanuel, uh, we, so we celebrate all month long. We sing songs, we do talks, we talk about the story, we draw truth from the story, because it truly is the story that has changed everything for us. And so what we've said in the last couple of weeks is that the Christmas story is the story of how God paved the path or revealed the path for you and I to have peace. Peace with him, peace within our own hearts, and then peace with others. And if you weren't here last week, uh, what we talked about is this idea that the reason we can have peace with each other is because when this baby came into the world, he brought love. In fact, he, he, he was love. In fact, he is love. And what we said last week is that love is the choice to do what is best for another person. See, God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world because he loved us, that we might have life through him. See, Jesus is really what you and I need most. And him coming into this world as a baby that Christmas night, that holy night, that silent night, was an act, the ultimate act of love. And so what we said last week is, what if you and I simply chose to love our neighbor as ourself? What if we chose to do what is best for our spouse, for our children? for our coworker, for our business, for our, our, our employer, for whoever, for the people in our life, for our neighbor. What would happen over the long haul if we simply chose to do what is best? There might not be immediate peace. <laughs> sometimes that's the way it goes, because sometimes what, what the best thing someone needs is, is a difficult conversation, or if you have children, some, some discipline and some punishment, that there's not always peace there. But in the long run, what we said was, there's going to be peace in your life because that is what love does. It chooses to do what is best for another person. In the Christmas story, when the, when the host of angelic beings started talking to the shepherds that night, and they told the shepherds that they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, all of a sudden, they couldn't help keep it in. Look what they said in Luke chapter two, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and what? Say it with me. Peace on earth. Who lives on earth? Who lives on earth? Do the angels live on earth? Sometimes they're here, but they don't live here. You know who lives on earth? You and I live on earth. This Christmas story is about how peace has come to us, that we now can have peace with God, peace within our own hearts, and peace with one another. And so today what I want to do is talk a little bit more about that idea of how in the world does Christmas help us to have peace with each other. Last week I mentioned that when, when you and I are not at peace with the people in our life, the relationships that we have, whoever it might be, the, the close relationships, there's, there's a lack of peace. There's tension, there's feelings of, of frustration, there's some anger, maybe there's some, even some bitterness or some resentment, right? It's difficult to have rest of soul and to be at peace when you have tension in your relationships. And a lot of times the reason we have tension in our relationships is because someone else close to us has done something to us that has hurt us. Maybe they've said something, they've done something, and so there's pain in our lives. And oftentimes if you're like me and if you're human, the response to that type of activity is to kind of give it back. You ever been there? To maybe give, give the cold shoulder. Anybody good at giving the cold shoulder? 
A silent treatment? <laughs> I see some people looking at each other because <laughs> you have teenagers, <laughs> right? It just, your response to, to that other person is, is to do something to kind of get back at them, to, to let them know that you don't like them, right? Sometimes we say things. We, we use our words to hurt them. Sometimes we actually do things that make the situation worse. And when we retaliate with behavior like that, all that does, and tell me if I'm wrong, is perpetuate the conflict. We just keep it going. Now you got two people going back and forth at each other. And so that just keeps the, the unrest going and the turmoil, turmoil going inside the relationship. Hey, I'm a big believer that if you want different results, you have to do some different things. Anybody like that idea? Huh? What do you think? In other words, if, I think it was Einstein who said, if you, if you keep doing the same thing and expect some different results, you're crazy. <laughs> And that, so if we want something to, different to happen, if we want to change you know, the, the quality of our relationships, if we would like to have some peace in our relationships, then we have to take some different actions. And God led the way. God showed us by example how to do this. In your notes there, God took actions so that you and I can have peace. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to die on a cross that we might have life through him, that we might have peace, grace, reconciliation, joy, satisfaction. He took action. He didn't just say, I love you. He actually did something. And so in your notes there, if you and I want to experience peace, check this out. We also must act. We also must do certain things. We can't just say to the people in our life that we love them. We have to show them through our actions. We have to take action if we want to experience peace because really what we're saying is love does what is best for the other person. So really love is what creates and sustains peace in any relationship, taking action. So today what I want to do is, is give you five actions that you can take that are motivated. They come from a place of love in your heart and you can take these things and you can try them immediately. That's what I love about church is because we can talk about some ideas and you can leave here today and say, mama, try that and, and, and look for some results almost immediately, if not immediately in your life. So you ready to take some notes? Everybody got their pens out? Show me your pens. Oh, some of you don't have a pen. <laughs> you forget most of what you don't write down so I wanna encourage you to grab a pen and grab some notes and write these things down. So number one, what are we gonna do here? We're gonna focus on the good. If you want peace in your relationships, you gotta focus on the good. It is amazing to me how easy it is for me to focus on the negative qualities of another person. How about you? It's so easy. Nobody had to teach me that. If you're raising kids, you know that they do this without, you never taught them, they just focus on the negative. <laughs> we just think the worst of people so easily, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt, we just jump to the worst possible you know, conclusion. In the book, The Love Dare, which I hope some of you have read, came out several years ago. It's a book on how to save your marriage, and, and this isn't a marriage talk, but, but this is a relationships talk, and so the principles in here are applicable across the board in whatever relationship you're in. And I was reading this <clears throat> not too long ago, and chapter seven was awesome. Chapter seven was about this, this whole idea uh, that, that there's two rooms that you can spend time in when it, and when it relates to, to your spouse or the person in your life. And one of the rooms is called the appreciation room, which is basically a room you go into to think about all the positive qualities of your spouse or the person in your life. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're honest, they're, they're genuine, they're, they're, you know, on time. That's a good one right? Uh, they're patient, uh, they have pretty eyes, or they have big, big arms, or whatever it is that you like about your spouse. You go there and you think about those things, right? Now watch what he says about this other room. Down another darker corridor in your heart lies the depreciation room. On its walls are written the things that bother and irritate you about your spouse. 
These things were placed there out of frustration, hurt feelings, and the disappointment of unmet expectations. This room is lined with the weaknesses and failures of your husband and wife or wife. Their bad habits, hurtful words, and poor decisions are written in large letters that cover the walls from one end to the other. If you stay in this room long enough, you get depressed and you start expressing things like this. My wife is so selfish. My husband can be such a big jerk. Or maybe I think I married the wrong person. Some of you are like, man, I spent a lot of time in that room. Or not. He says, spending time in the depreciation room kills marriages. We could, we could say it kills relationships in general. Divorces are plotted in this room and violent plans are schemed. The more time you spend in this place, the more your heart devalues your spouse. It begins the moment you walk in the door and you, your care for them lessens with every second that ticks by. The appreciation room or the depreciation room? Where do you spend most of your time in your key relationships? He goes on to say, of course, the challenge of this chapter is to get out of that room, to get out of the depreciation room and spend time in the appreciation room. He says, but love chooses not to live in the depreciation room. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. What is he telling us? Love does not spend time mulling over all of the faults and the sins and the shortcomings and the failures of the other person. Because if you do, that's going to muster up negative emotions, and when you have negative emotions, that's going to perpetuate negative actions. You devalue that person, right? Instead, love, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It spends time in the appreciation room. In verse 7, he continues and says this, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This word trust means to believe. It always believes the best. It fills the gap with trust. It believes that your spouse can change. It belie- you believe that that person will eventually get it right. It hopes, it dreams, it perseveres. It fills the gap with trust. And when you spend time in that appreciation room mulling over all the positive qualities and the hopes that you have for this person in your life, you start having positive emotions and positive feelings. And when you have positive emotions and positive feelings towards that person, you end up having positive actions towards that person and there is peace in the relationship. See, I'm in a marriage. This, this is real life stuff. I'm not preaching a sermon. My wife is here today. We're human beings. We rub each other the wrong way. I'm sure it's mostly my, my poor, you know, pokey spots <laughs> that, that mess things up. We have to put this into practice. We could easily spend time meditating on all the negative qualities that, that I have or that she has. And you know what would end up happening in our marriage? <laughs> You go right down the drain. You with me? We got to do this stuff. You have, if you want peace in your life, you have to focus on the positive. Number two, you want peace in your relationships? You got to be willing to apologize. Uh-oh. Let's talk about this for a little while. <laughs> apologize. I'm talking about a sincere apology. There are relationships right now that, are, that, that, that if there was just one person would go first and offer a sincere apology and say, I'm sorry. Man, they would bring so much peace there. In that, in that relationship, the potential for peace would open, open up wide. Here's why. Because when you apologize, and it's sincere, not manipulative, okay? It's a sincere apology. You're truly owning what you did wrong. What that does is it diffuses the person who's offended. It softens their heart. It, it makes their heart tender. I mean, how can you continue to have anger and have resentment and have bitterness towards someone who is sincerely sorry for what they did? It's very difficult to do that. You've got to dig your heels in and say, no, I refuse, refuse to make peace. I want to continue to hate you or, or, or dislike you. 
It's very difficult to, to, to maintain that mentality when someone offers up a sincere apology. I was talking with a friend of mine last week who even before this series, he felt God nudging him to try to make peace with a business partner he hadn't talked to in six months. Everything was great, they had a blow up, psh, separated. He came forward last week. He said, I'm gonna call him, we're gonna, we're gonna meet at Starbucks and I'm gonna apologize for my wrongdoing in the breakup. And so he did this week. He went to Starbucks, he met with this guy. He, he met me after the meeting. He said, Danny, was unbelievable. So I haven't talked to this guy in six weeks. I think it was six months. He said, I started off by, by apologizing for my end of the deal. He said, Danny, it's amazing. He was blown away that I would even apologize. He even started to cry. <laughs> he was just telling me this this week. He said, we just, we, we talked, we, we made peace, we, we, mold, we, we smoothed over the, some of the rough edges and and it was amazing. Thank you for the talk that you gave last week. I said, man, I, you did, you took action. You went, you called him, you set the meeting up, you apologized. This stuff actually does work. What if you just simply apologized to your son for your part instead of focusing on what they did? What if you just owned it to your, to your daughter, to your spouse? What would happen? I, I think in the long run, you would end up with some peace. Why don't we do this? I believe we don't do this because of one reason. It's because of pride. We're too proud. We don't want to face the music. Are you like me? We don't want to admit it. I mean, I've heard this from my wife several times. You just, you never admit that you're wrong. <laughs> and when she said that, it's like, oh man. That was years ago, but it was true. Very difficult time saying, I'm, I, I was wrong. I was the one. I'm sorry. Why? Because I'm, I'm a proud man. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I want to be right. Don't you guys want to be right all the time? Pride leads to conflict, Proverbs 13, 10 tells us, because a proud person simply cannot apologize for what he or she has done wrong. So in order to overcome this, what do we do? Well, we have to take the path of humility. Humility is the only way to, to overcome this. A humble person simply says, I'm not perfect. My feet are made of clay. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess. I, I'm going to sin. And when I do, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to apologize for what I've done wrong. That's the path of humility. Listen to what Peter said. He said, clothe yourselves. This, this terminology right here has to do with getting dressed. Like when you put your pajamas on in the evening. <laughs> Get dressed like you do in the morning. With what? With humility. Toward two. One another. Why? Because that's the only path towards peace in a relationship, that I'm gonna humble myself, and that allows me to say, I'm sorry when I mess up. Is that cl pretty clear? Number one, you're gonna have to focus on the good if you want peace. Number two, you're gonna have to be willing to apologize. Number three, let's talk about this one. This one would be fun. You're gonna have to get better. You're gonna have to improve yourself. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> you're gonna have to improve yourself. Listen, 2015 is coming to a close. Have you gotten any better in a year's time? 365 days are about to wrap up. Can you point to one specific thing, area in your life where you can say, I've made progress? You should be able to, because we should be getting better year after year, correct? It was Jeff Suni who said this, your life will get better only after you get better. I love that. Are you getting better? Everybody wants to have a better life. Would you like to have some more peace in your relationships? <laughs> Anybody? More harmony in your relationships with a business partner or whoever, coworker, right? How about, what if you improved? What if you got better? What if you owned it? Everybody wants their life to be better, but everybody wants to point at the other person and say, when you get better, my life will be better. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. If you're gonna wait around for other people to get better and nicer and kinder and more patient, you will not have peace. You have to get better. 
You have to overcome that addiction. You have to overcome that, that, that temptation to, to talk over people, right? Or to always talk about yourself and never ask other people how they're doing. Or to overcome that temper that you have. You know that temper? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The temper, the anger, the jealousy, the, the whatever it is inside of you. What if you got better? What if you improved? Something tells me that over the long haul, again, this is a marathon. This isn't an overnight thing. You will have more peace in your life. Jesus talked about being a good person versus being an evil person. Listen to what he said. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth what? Yeah, good. The good person's got a storehouse of goodness inside of them, right? And that goodness spills out onto other people. And that person is a blessing and there's lots of peace because people love that person because that person is blessing, blessing, blessing. On the other side, watch this. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart's heart curses people. Are you a blessing or are you a curse to people? You, you have to improve. You've got to get better. And when you get better year by year, I'm telling you what, there'll be more peace in your life. Improve yourself. We're starting a brand new series, January, first weekend of January, called Reboot. We're just going to try to get better. We're going to try to reboot our financial life, our financial life, our relationships, our spiritual life, and we're going to just kind of try to say, hey, let's get better in 2016, because when you get better, I'm telling you, the chances of peace rising in your life rises as well. Number three, you gotta improve yourself. Number four, let's talk about this. If you want peace, you gotta take action. God took action, he led the way. You ready for this? You gotta endure people's junk. <laughs> you gotta endure their faults. Everybody's got some stuff, some stuff going on. Idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies and, and insecurities and nonsense. You know people have some nonsense going on in their life? You know, they're passive aggressive. You know, they, they're short-tempered and they're jealous, right? selfish. You know anybody like this? Are you in, are you in relationships with anybody? <laughs> At some level, Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, you have to make allowance for others' faults. This word here means to tolerate, to have patience with. Now, I know there's a line that, that, that we have to draw. You know, Henry Cloud wrote a fantastic book called Boundaries, which basically is, covers this idea that there's the line. If you cross the line, you've gone too far, and then there's consequences, and the relationship has to make a, there has to be a change. But I'm talking about before the line, before the adultery, before the pornography, before the stealing, before the abuse, before the sexual abuse, whatever. I'm, I'm talking about before the line, before that person crosses the line. I'm talking about making allowance for their faults. Okay? Everybody's got faults. I was talking with a friend of mine not too long ago, and he came to me, and they were having some, some marriage struggles, and I asked him permission if I could share this, and, and you know, there were a couple things going on, and what, one of the things that was really driving him nuts with, that his wife did was uh, she would chip her fingernails, like pick her fingernails, you know, uh, the, the nail polish off of her fingernails, and he was telling me this, he says, oh, she says, pick, pick, you know, as he's telling me this, I could see that I could see the, the angst inside of him, you know. And he's saying, and then the paint is all over the floor and there's a pile, it's just terrible. Pick, pick, it's all she does is pick, pick, pick. You know, I'm, this is a marriage counseling session, you know, and I'm just sitting there just listening, shaking my head, like, oh boy. <laughs> I've tried to encourage him, you know, say, let's not die on that hill. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you have said the same thing if you were in my shoes? Let her pick. Let her pick, pick, pick. Let her pick all she wants. Pick, 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 pick. 
doesn't matter. <laughs> At some level, I think that falls into that category where you have to make allowance. You agree? Or am I crazy? My wife is great at this because, you know, there's three boys in our house, and it's amazing the, the, the smells and the sounds. I mean, I'll just tell you what, it's the farts and the burps, and it's the feet. It's amazing. Three of us. This is real-life stuff, right? If, if, if she wasn't good, bless, bless you, bless you, woman, you're amazing. If she... If she wasn't good at making allowance, I mean, I mean, she could have zero peace because it never ends in our home. I don't know if we're lactose intolerant. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't understand it. It's constant. It's almost on the, every five minutes, on the minute. Maybe you had brothers. Maybe, I don't know. I just, she makes allowance. Look, if you can't make allowance for people's faults, you're going to be in big trouble. You're gonna, if you get ticked off at every little thing a person does in their life, then you have no peace. It's just not possible. So how do you, how do you become the type of person who can make allowance for people? Well, I, I, I feel like the best way to do it is to kind of sit in their shoes. John Maxwell in his book, Winning with People, which is a fantastic book, he said it this way. Instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place. What a great idea. What is it like to be them? If you have a friend or, or, or a spouse or someone close to you that's, that's passive-aggressive or insecure or has an inferiority complex or something that just kind of drives you nuts, instead of putting them in their place, which we're so tempted to do, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't be that way, how about you sit in their seat for a while? How about you walk a mile in their shoes? How about you discover, why, have, why are you like that? What was, the home, what was your home life like? Did you, were you abused? Did you just have one parent? Did, were you just raised by your dad? Were you just raised by your mom? Did you have no parents? Like what, like, what happened to you? Were you beat up? Did you have older brothers that did something to you? What, what, why are you like that? And then what happens when you kind of discover their story, what ends up happening is that you, you have this thing inside of you that grows. It's called empathy. Empathy. Oh, that's why you struggle with insecurities. Oh, that's why you do what you do. Oh, I get it now. Instead of putting people in their place, put yourself in their place, and empathy grows. And then what happens is you can become the type of person that actually makes room or tolerates or makes allowance for people's faults. Let me give you the fifth one, fifth action to take. This is all stuff you can do immediately when you leave here. That's so exciting. Number five, you have to forgive as the Lord forgave you. You want peace in your life, you must forgive. What does it mean to forgive? It's kind of this crazy idea. It sounds easier said than done. You hear people say it, oh, just forgive them, forgive her. What does that mean? Well, when, when, here's how it works. When one person offends another person, there's a debt. There's a debt that's created. They owe you. They've hurt you, so now they owe you. So when you choose not to forgive somebody, you're holding that debt against them. And now there's, a, now there's a divide between you and them. So when you choose to forgive, you're saying to the other person, you don't owe me anymore. The debt is canceled. The debt is gone. Yes, it was wrong what you did, but I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I cancel the debt. You don't owe me anymore. It's an incredible concept to do. Now, the reason we don't forgive easily, <laughs> sometimes it's because the grievance is so you know, big and, or wide or strong or it's so deep. Sometimes that's part of it. But another, another reason why we struggle to drop the debt or, or cancel the debt is because we feel like we don't want to let the person go free. We feel like, if, well, if I forgive you, then it's like it never happened, and I can't just let that happen. I can't just sweep it under the carpet. Oh, don't worry about it. No problem. I forgive you. It's like it never happened. Well, in one sense, there's some truth to that. 
But another sense, there's, you have to hear this. This is the other side of the coin on that one. You're not, you're not sweeping it under the carpet. You're not saying, like, you're not saying it's okay. It was wrong. You're not saying that, that everything's just going to be fine. They still have to deal with God. And God is the one who says, hey, let me be God. Uh, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I'm the judge. You forgive. I will deal with them. See, when you forgive somebody, they still have to answer to him. They have a judgment. They have a, they have a day where, they, where there's a reckoning. So you're handing them over to God when you forgive them. You're saying, I, you, the debt is canceled against me, but you still have to deal with him. See? You're not sweeping it under the carpet. It's still there. There has to, there has to be peace here between them and God. Does that make sense? So therefore, right after Paul says make allowance for each other's faults, in the next breath he says this, and forgive anyone who offends you. Just, just drop the charges. You don't owe me anymore. And if you happen to struggle with that or you're really like, ah, oh, I can't really do that, it's so difficult. Here's, Paul gives us a little help. He says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. He gives us a little help here. He basically says, if you're struggling to drop the charges, just reflect, just remember, just go back to how Jesus forgave you. See, Jesus came into this world as a baby in a manger, but he grew up and become a man and at the age of 30, 33 or so. He spread out his arms on a cross and he allowed himself to be crucified. Nails put through his hands, nails put through his feet so that he could cancel the debt that was held against you, so that your, your slate could be wiped clean, so that you could be forgiven and cleansed, so that, you can be, have, so that you can have peace with God. That's how God dealt with you. So Paul says, if you're struggling to forgive someone who offends you, just reflect, just remember the cross, just remember how Jesus did it for you, and do that for the other person, because that other person hasn't offended you nearly as much as you have offended God. Does that make sense? Forgive. The other day, I was, uh, Wednesday, I was we're sitting in a small group, and uh, I, I bring up this story because sometimes when you forgive somebody, it doesn't always lead to reconciliation. It doesn't always lead to the relationship, you know, going, going back to, uh, to normal. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, right? But even if, the, even if the relationship doesn't come back to reconciliation, even if it doesn't go back to normal, you can still have a different type of peace, which is rest of soul inside. So this gentleman in my small group this week started talking, and he normally doesn't talk. But he, so when he started speaking, I was like, oh, well, what's this guy got to say, you know? So we started listening, and he started talking about how after last week's talk, he took a step and forgave somebody in his life that he was holding a grudge against. And I can't, I can't share the situation, but it was pretty grievous. And then he said this, he said, and I'm experiencing freedom. And he was about to move on, and I said, wait a second, could you share, push down, what do you mean by freedom? And, here, and he kind of thought, and he said, well, what do I mean by freedom? And he said, he, well, I, I, I used to be trapped with anger and, and, and resentment and bitterness, and, and now that I've forgiven her, all oh, that's gone. And then he said this, forgiveness really works. I said, I'm gonna say that on Sunday. <laughs> can't wait <laughs> because it really works it sets you free it gives you peace now the relationship might not be ever reconciled and in this situation that's that's not going to happen this gentleman's situation but i tell you what he had inner peace because he dropped the charges he, he simply said to this person you don't owe me any more you know many of us have have been following the story maybe you haven't but a terrible story about uh, Amanda um, Blackburn and Davy Blackburn, the pastor on the north side of, of uh, Indianapolis. 
Amanda was senselessly and brutally murdered. She was in her home and three men entered her home and she ended up being killed, murdered while her husband was at the gym. Pastor of a church, could have been my family, could have been my wife, could have been yours. And so he's been talking to the media and processing all this. And I, want, I just want to show you what he said about this whole thing. He says, though everything inside of me wants to hate, wouldn't you? Though everything inside of me wants to hate, be angry and slip into despair, I choose the route of forgiveness, grace, and hope. Wow. Why would he do that? I'm telling you, here's why he's doing it. I don't know the guy. He's probably, you know, I'll probably meet him someday because he's a pastor locally here. But I can tell you why he did because he knows that that's the only path towards peace for himself. He may not have a relationship with these guys who killed his wife. He probably never will. But he's going to have peace inside because that stuff like anger and bitterness and resentment, that'll kill you from the inside out. You will have no peace. Are you with me? Does this make sense? You can do this. You can take this action. God led the way. He sent his one and only son of this world. He sent him. He did something that we needed most. We needed to be forgiven. We needed grace, and he took action. And then he says, look, if you want to have peace in your life, you need to take action. You need to love the people in your life. What does that look like? Well, today what we've said is it looks like thinking the best. It looks like being willing to apologize, improving yourself, enduring other people's faults, and forgiving those who offend you. We can have peace because God took action in our life. We can have peace because God is with us. You know, the name of our church is Emmanuel. It means God with us. I want you to think about that. I want you to reflect on that. And then I'll come back up and close us out. Please, to say. 
story of Christmas is a story of how a God who loved you, a king, sent his son into this world so that you might have life through him, so that you might have peace with him. The reason he did that is because naturally we don't have peace with God. We're born into this world, enemies of God, broken wills, wanting to do things our own way. That's not, that wasn't God's original plan. He wanted to be in a relationship with us. He wanted to be reconciled to us. So he sent Christ into this world so that we can be reunited, so that we can be reconciled, so that we can have peace. You know, we say it often that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A few moments ago, our team just sang about how what kind of king would give away his own son? 
I have two sons. We have, we have two sons. I would never in a million years give my son for one of you. He's my flesh. He's my, my, my wife. Let him, these children grow inside of her belly. How could, I, how could I give him away? How could I give any one of them away for someone else? I can't do it. But here we have a God who says, I'm going to give you my son, my one and only son, as a sacrifice so that you can be washed, so that you could be cleansed, so that your sins could be forgiven. And if you put your faith in him and you put your trust in him, you will become one of my children. That's what God says to you today. Now, I made that decision when I was about 18 years old and I've never looked back. I'm sure there were ups and downs in my journey, but he changed my life. Maybe today is your day where you say, okay, I, I think I finally get it. I feel like I, it's coming together. Christmas, the baby, love, the choice, the cross. This is my moment. This moment, I believe, was designed for you. If you'd like to have peace with God, if you'd like to be reconciled to him in a relationship, you need to put your trust and confidence in him. And the way you do that is by expressing that to him through faith, just through prayer. Just say to him, God, I believe it. I, I put my confidence in Jesus. I believe what he did on the cross for me. I believe you gave your one and only son for me that I might have peace and, and forgiveness. If you would like to make that decision right now in this most holy moment, would you close your eyes and would you bow your head? If you feel God drawing your heart, tugging on your heart, follow that. That's him. He's tugging. He's pulling. He's saying, yes, this is right. This is good. Just say to him right now with the little faith that you have in your heart, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the debt for me. You canceled it. And I don't owe you anymore. I place my confidence and trust in you, Jesus, today. Make me your child. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me as white as snow. And from this day forward, help me to love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just put your faith in Christ, if you just said that prayer, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Please, from, from the bottom of my heart, in the same way that a newborn baby goes right to its mother for milk, for nutrients, for growth, you are a spiritual newborn baby if you just put your faith in Christ and your milk is the word of God and so that's why we always like to have you leave here there's tables in the back to my left and to my right where you can go grab a Bible and the reason we do this is because this is your spiritual milk as you begin reading this you say why am I not understand it all that's okay I didn't understand it either when I first started reading babies don't understand why milk helps them but they drink it right <laughs> they don't get it they don't get anything right <laughs> but they drink the milk right so I'm going to encourage you to go grab one of these Bibles and begin reading just about five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. You'll notice that you'll have a desire to start reading more. And then what will happen is you'll begin to grow in your faith. God will begin to show you different parts of himself, his will, parts of you that need to change, things you need to you know, add to your life, take away from your life. 
God will show you and lead you on this new relationship if you read the word of God. This is your milk right here. So, can, so if you prayed to receive Christ, go back there and grab a Bible. Let's, let's, uh, let's give God praise and glory for what he's done today. As we leave here, as we leave here, I hope that you are inspired. What I want to be is an inspiration to you to take action. If you want different results in your life, you have to do different things, okay? You with me on that, yes or no? Yes? If you fail to take action today, if you fail to, to think the best, to, 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 to love your, the person in your life by spending time in the appreciation room, or to make that apology, or to improve yourself, or to endure faults, or to forgive, if you fail to take action, nothing is going to change in your life. I want to inspire, you can do this, and you can change, and you can have more peace in your relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to encourage, inspire, instruct, do some teaching. I pray that we would leave here, God, and we would put some of your truth into action. I know that if we do, in the long term, we will experience higher levels of peace in our relationships. Thank you for, for leading the way. Thank you for taking action, sending your son to this earth that we might have peace. Help us to follow your example. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you pray to receive Christ, don't forget to grab your Bible on your way out. Next week, week, we're doing the last week of peace. You're not going to want to miss it. Bring a friend. God bless you. See you next week.